It is Easter Sunday, 2022. Great to see you all this morning. Amen. Now, it is probably not a surprise for me to say this, but pastors love Easter. I think all Christians love Easter, but pastors really love Easter. It's one of those few Sundays out of the year that churches are packed with people. Seems like everybody goes to church on Easter. Amen. Amen. Christians go to church. Spiritual seekers go to church. People who have been bribed with free lunch after the service, they go to church. It's all good. It's all good. Listen, whether you are here out of choice or by bribery, I am excited that you are here this morning. So as we get started, I am going to do my best to kind of share for about one minute how it is that the Easter story itself impacts every single person in this room. I think that a lot of people, whether or not those who go to church or otherwise, they know that somehow Easter goes back to the resurrection of Jesus, but they might not know exactly how that impacts their life today. So let me take just a moment and set all of that up. The Bible tells us that humanity was created for relationship with God. That's why we're here. That's why we're on this planet. We were made that we might know him. But the Bible also tells us that our sin separated us from our creator. It's not about the type of sin. It wasn't about the amount of sin. It wasn't that just a handful of people sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also tells us, though, that the penalty of sin is death, spiritual separation from God. We understand, according to the Bible narrative, that there was nothing that any of us could ever do to make things right on our own. Our good works, not enough. Morality, not enough. Going to church, not enough. Now, if the story ended there, we would all be in trouble. But praise God, that's not where the story ends. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much that he came to earth in the person of Jesus. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He rose from the grave three days later that we might have life. That's what we celebrate today. That's Easter. That's what we're celebrating. And then listen to this. He offers eternal life or a reconciled relationship to those who will turn from their sin, repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. So notice the story. Created for relationship. Sin separates the relationship. Jesus does what is necessary to reconcile the relationship. Because of what he has done for us, we can experience our created purpose. We've been made to know God. That's the basic story that is what we celebrate. That's the gospel narrative. So on Easter morning, when hundreds of millions of people are cramming into churches all around the world, it's actually a two-part celebration. It is one that we celebrate the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what makes eternal life possible. And second, we celebrate a reconciled relationship with God. That's what makes eternal life personal. Two-part celebration today. So let me shift gears for just a moment. I have been a Christian for 28 years. I have been a pastor for 23 of those years. And that gospel story I just shared with you 
can absolutely change a person's life. It can change their character. It can change their eternal destiny. When a person places faith in what Jesus has done for them, they find themselves swimming in an ocean of God's forgiveness. They, they experience a love that comes from God that is unfathomable. That same individual, when they place faith in Jesus, they find that they can step into their created purpose and into God's peace and into new desires and new character. They, they find all of those things happening. Transformation occurs in that person's life. It's incredible. And by the way, I have yet to meet an unsatisfied customer of Jesus. When Jesus changes a life, he changes a life. That's why when you're watching people as they're celebrating and hands are being lifted and there's some dancing, Baptists get a little nervous when the dancing starts. That's okay. Hey, David danced before the Lord. When, when God does something on the inside, it is expressed on the outside. That story can transform a person's life. Now, somebody might say, well, Paul, if it's that good, like why isn't everybody a Christian? That's a great question. I can give you a number of human reasons. Sometimes it's because people have never heard the gospel story you just heard. Sometimes it's because a person is living in a state of deception. Sometimes it's because they have met someone who is a Christian and it was not a good encounter. And they said, if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't need that in my life. There's different reasons why people are not believers, but I'll tell you one thing that'll hold everyone back from following Jesus. It's the same thing that some of you are battling through right now, five minutes into this message. Doubt. Doubt. It, it, it might be that for you, you doubt that Jesus was even raised from the dead. I mean, logically speaking, dead people don't come back to life. It might be that you doubt that the Bible is even true. I mean, it was written thousands of years ago by different people on different continents over a 1,500-year period of time. Like, can it all really be true? It might be today that you doubt that you have done anything deserving of spiritual death and separation from God. Like, you might understand how Hitler made that list, or serial killers, or rapists, or terrorists. But if you've tried to live a good life, a moral life, if you've tried to treat people with respect, if you've worked hard, you might doubt that God would ever hold your list of some mistakes, minor sins, against you. The idea of God doing that, it doesn't make sense in your mind. So you're already doubting what it is that you're hearing even at this point. If that's where you're at, I understand. I get it. So I'm going to let you in on two secrets. Number one, God is not taken back by our doubts. And number two, even mature Christians still wrestle with certain doubts. Being a Christian does not mean turning off critical thinking skills and just believing a fairy tale. I, I've yet to meet a Christian who still does not have some questions about the nature of God, 
the origins of the universe, why evil exists, why bad things happen to good people, where the dinosaurs went for that matter. I mean, we've got different questions that we still wrestle with. Now, here's the reason I bring that up. There's a lot of Easter messages that are geared towards historically proving the evidence behind the resurrection. Like if, if we could just make it clear to people that he rose from the dead, that's what a person is going to be waiting for. But here's the thing. While I am grateful to God for the historical evidence that we have, and there is a lot, I've not yet met a person who was holding out for a fact sheet. It's far more personal than that. Most people do not become a Christian because all of their questions are answered. They become a Christian because God became real to them in a personal way. I want us to pull that out. That's our big truth that we're going to be working through today. That is, when God becomes real to us in a personal way, our critical doubts are overcome with belief. Let me say that again. When God becomes real to us in a personal way, our critical doubts, and I'm going to explain that in a moment, our critical doubts are overcome with belief. So when I say our critical doubts, it's because some doubts, some questions that we might have are not critical necessarily for salvation. They would fall under the category of maybe general curiosity or lack of understanding, but it's not the stumbling block that is keeping a person from placing faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you have questions, if you've got concerns, if you have doubts, you're in the right place this morning. This morning, for the next 20, 25 minutes, I'm going to walk you through the story of Easter, but I'm going to walk it through focused on the doubts of those who were the closest to Jesus. These were the ones who walked with Christ 2,000 years ago. These are the ones who heard the promises of Jesus firsthand. These are the ones who saw him crucified. And these are the ones who saw him rise from the dead. And here's what you'll find. They had doubts. So this morning, I invite you to go with me in your Bible. If you have one, you can use the smartphone, tablet. You can follow on the screens beside me. We're going to be in John's Gospel, chapter number 20. John's Gospel, chapter number 20. And as we enter the text today, I'm going to take about four to five minutes, and I want to set up what's happening around the story to kind of bring everybody up to what's going to be taking place in the text itself. So prior to Jesus' death, he prepared his disciples by telling them what was going to happen. Now, i got a passage I believe is going to come on the screen. It's John chapter 14, verse 29. Listen to what it says. Jesus told them before it happened so that when it happened, they would believe. That's key. Jesus knew this story, this resurrection story, was going to be so difficult for them to understand, so difficult for people to believe. It says he told them before it happened so that when it happened, they would believe. He anticipated their doubts, and he acted preemptively. He told them in advance. Now, what did he tell them in advance? He told them in advance that one of his disciples was going to betray him. He told them in advance Peter was going to deny him. He told them in advance that he was going to be arrested, 
tried, mocked, beaten, crucified, and rise again three days later. He told him all of those different things. And every bit of it happened exactly as he said. All of it happened. But when we get to our place in the story, all of the pieces have happened other than the final piece. Jesus had not yet risen from the dead in the text that we're about to walk through. Now, rising from the dead is not one of those things that you can say, well, Jesus got 9 out of 10 right, close enough. If he doesn't rise from the dead, Christianity is not here. Eternal life is not possible. You and I stepping into our created purpose is not even an option. Because remember, created for a relationship with God, listen, Jesus did what was necessary to be in right relationship Part of that was his death on the cross. But if Jesus is God and God remains dead, there is no relationship for you and I. It has to be that he rises from the dead. So Jesus promised that he would rise again on the third day. Now I want you to fast forward now in the story to the morning of the third day. Mary and some of the other ladies, they go to the tomb. They notice the stone has now been rolled away. Mary looks into the tomb and she sees two angels. And one of the angels asks her why she's crying. And she said, they've taken away my Lord and I have no idea where they've placed him. And the angel responded, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? In fact, he even reminds her at that moment about the promise. Jesus said he would rise again. He would live again. Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? So then the angel tells Mary, go and tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. So the ladies, as they're leaving, they run into what they consider to be the gardener. They think it's the gardener. Turns out it's Jesus. And once again, Mary asks the same question. She says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. John chapter 20, verse 15. And at that, Jesus said, Mary. And the first words were, teacher. She recognized him when he called her by name. So the ladies, they start to worship. They, they come to Jesus. They're, they're excited. Jesus says, go and tell the disciples what you've seen and tell them to meet me in Galilee. And that's exactly what they did. They run to the disciples. They told the disciples about the angels, about the empty tomb, about seeing Jesus, and about the meeting that was supposed to happen in Galilee. And get this, the disciples didn't believe her. That's understandable. Dead people don't come back to life. I can understand why it is that they're saying, she's confused. She saw a ghost. She saw a spirit. Certainly that cannot be Jesus. They saw him beaten. They saw him crucified. They saw him die. Common sense says dead people don't come back to life, even if you really, really want them to. So that's where our story picks up. Let's now read John chapter 20, and we're going to be in verses 19 and 20 to begin with. It says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. 
And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Now, that phrase, for fear of the Jews, it does not apply to every Jewish person. In fact, if you will remember, Jesus and his disciples were Jewish. This is a phrase that was specific to the Jewish leaders and a number of their followers who were antagonistic towards Christ. And here's what they're thinking. If they crucified Jesus, what will they do to his followers? Now, put yourself in their place for just a moment. They're afraid. It's nighttime. Let's be honest, everything's scarier at nighttime. They had just seen their leader killed. Now they heard this confusing comment coming from Mary that Mary saw Jesus alive. And then in that moment, Jesus appears in the midst of them. Like he's not there one moment, uh, next moment he's there. And all of a sudden, they are shocked. They're stunned. He shows them his hands. He shows them his side. And the scripture tells us that when they saw these things, they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Over the next several minutes and verses, he talks to them about being sent by the Father and about the Holy Spirit and also about the fact that he's going to be meeting them with Galilee. Step down again to verse number 25 through our 24 and 25. Look at what it says there. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. It began with just Mary saying, I saw him, we saw him. And now the disciples are saying, we saw him, like it's, it's real. Notice what it says. And he said to them, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Imagine that. Thomas had doubts. I get it. I understand why this is. But if you'll think about the story, Thomas kind of gets a bad rap. Like Thomas's name is now synonymous with doubting he's not the only one doubting in this story Mary is one of the first ones doubting because the moment she goes to the garden and the body is gone she asks the question where have you taken the body her, her mind did not go to resurrection praise the Lord he rose from the dead her mind went to body snatching somebody came in the nighttime and stole the body she had some doubts then the rest of the disciples, when Mary gave the news and they said, it can't be, it's confusing, until he's standing right there in the midst of them. They have some doubts as well. So now fast forward in the story just a little bit further. It tells us that after Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, and they had believed, now they were believing, they're trying to tell Thomas what they saw and Thomas does not believe. He says, unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, put my finger in the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, unless I do that, I will not believe. Thomas had doubts. Now, if you think it ends there, it doesn't. In fact, write this reference off to the side in your notes. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. Even after seeing Jesus alive, even after worshiping him, 
Did you know some of the disciples still had doubts? This is what it says. But the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. Listen, that's after the resurrection. That's after worshiping. That's after multiple occurrences of him standing in front of them. And they still had doubts. Here's my reason for sharing that. If they had doubts as first-hand witnesses who walked with him, who heard the promises, and saw him after the resurrection, it should not surprise us that people 2,000 years later have doubts. That's the reason why that first passage was so important. John chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus knew it was going to be hard for people. So again, he told them before it happened so that when it happened, they would believe. Jesus anticipated our doubts and he acted preemptively. Doubts is what happens when the information we receive differs from the reality that we know. Let me say that again. Doubt is what happens when the information we receive differs from the reality that we know. Reality says dead people don't come back to life. Reality says if you think a dead person is talking to you, you might need some meds. Reality tells us that emotionally distraught, grief-stricken, fearful people may see what they need to see in order to cope with what they're dealing with. Like we can rationally understand exactly where doubt comes from. Look at what it says. Keep reading verses 26 through 29. After eight days when the disciples were again inside and Thomas with them, Jesus came and the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are those, blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Nothing is said of where Jesus was at for eight days. Nothing is said of how Jesus knew that Thomas needed to put his finger in the prince or his hand in the side. Nothing's mentioned about that. But listen, when Jesus came personally, when Jesus came personally to Thomas, that's key, when he came personally to Thomas, Thomas's response was, my Lord and my God. After a personal encounter, doubt was replaced with belief. In that moment, his reality changed. It didn't matter how many textbooks say dead people don't come back to life. He was like, that is incorrect. I've seen a dead person come back to life. In that, in that moment, it didn't matter how many other people said, you're crazy for believing that. When you see a dead person come back to life, your reality now changes. So let me say this again. Most people do not become a Christian because all their questions are answered. They become a Christian because God became real to them 
in a personal way. That's what happened to Thomas. Now, notice the beauty of the final couple of verses, verses 30 and 31. It shows how this story connects with all of us. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. God put these stories in so that we would believe. Do you see how personal that is? He says, these things I have written that you may believe. That's personal. He's got the message that goes out to every man, woman, boy, and girl. It is for you that you might believe. In 1999, I was speaking at the University of Kiev in Ukraine. And on that night, 20 or so people placed faith in Christ. After it was over with, a young lady came up to me, and through a translator, she began to share her story with me. And here's what she shared. For years, she had felt demonic presence all around her. For years, she said, I would be terrified at night. In the daytime, things would be moving around my house. She says, I constantly felt this oppressive spirit that was around me. And she said, tonight, when I walked through the doors of this room, the presence stopped when I walked in. And she said, when you began to preach and said, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. She said, I just experienced that. She placed faith in Jesus that night. And here's what she kept saying. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. You know what happened that night? That night, whenever that demonic presence stopped at the door, she says, God became real to me in a personal way. At that moment is when her critical doubts were overcome with belief. I know a pastor friend of mine in Tennessee. He came to Christ because of a rainstorm. He was a farmer when he came to Christ. Good man, moral man, hardworking man. He had heard the gospel many times. He had friends who were Christians. He had been in church a lot, but he had never placed faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. But on that particular day, he was looking out over top of his crops that were dying because there was no rain. And he said, God, if you're real, would you send the rain? And it started to rain. And he said, that's just a coincidence. And he walked back in his house. And the rain stopped when he walked in his house. So he walked back out. And he said, God, if that was you, would you bring the rain again? And it started to rain again. And he was like, my mind is playing tricks on me. And he turned around and walked back into his house. The rain stopped again. Finally, he walked out a third time and he said, God, if that is really you, would you let the rains come? And the rains came back again. And on that day, he placed faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And here's what he told me afterwards. He said, if God cared enough about an old farmer to bring rain, that's a God I can trust and that's a God I will follow. Here's what happened. When the rains fell, 
God became real to him in a personal way. His critical doubts were overcome with belief. That seems to be the pattern of Scripture. That's the pattern that we see in life. God doesn't answer every question a person has before they place faith in Christ. Instead, people find themselves in these defining moments where God becomes real to them. Mary's doubts were overcome with belief when Jesus called her by name. That's personal. The disciples' doubts were overcome by belief when Jesus popped up right in front of them. That's personal. Thomas's doubts were overcome with belief when he touched the nail-scarred hands and was able to touch the hole in the side of Christ. That is personal. For the Apostle Paul, it was an unexpected encounter on a desert road. For the Philippian jailer, it took an earthquake. For Cornelius, it was a dream that resulted in a conversation with Peter. For me, listen, for me, it was a gospel music infomercial on TV in a hotel room in Clemson, South Carolina. Carolina. Listen, here's the thing. Everyone's story is unique. God knows, God knows what you need. And if you think God doesn't know you're here, you're wrong. God has been pursuing you. His love is for you. Every person's story is a little bit different but overall, here's what you find. Our critical doubts are overcome with belief when God becomes real to us. Think of your story. Believers, think of your story. It might have been the death of a loved one that brought the brevity of life to mind and God became real to you. It might have been a financial crisis. It might have been problems at work. It might have been that your marriage was collapsing and somehow in that moment, God showed up in a personal way and that's what you needed and you place faith in Jesus. Did you know it doesn't even have to be bad things? I know people, they were walking in nature and were overwhelmed with the glory of God while seeing nature. I know of people that they have become a Christian because they saw the birth of their first child and when they saw that, they are like, there is a God in heaven, and they placed faith in Jesus. Some people, it was a worship service, much like this one. Something happened in the service, even when they were resistant to come, that all of a sudden, God meets them in a personal way, and it's like he's been reading their mail for years. Are you at that place right now? I guarantee you, in a crowd of this size, God has some people that are in that defining moment today. Did you know you are not here by accident? Did you know we have been praying for you? We, have been, we were praying for divine opportunities, praying that whenever invite cards came out, that it was what somebody was already looking for. Praying that God would transform lives, that the power of God would transform the sea. We've been praying, asking God, God, would you put a fresh touch of your spirit on this place? God, would you transform lives? And here's what my prayer has been. This is my personal prayer on this. It has been that as we've spent a week on our knees in prayer, that when God moves, it just gives us a taste of what can happen when the spirit of God connects with the prayers of his people. 
I am praying today that there's some people right now that God has you at that defining moment. And today is going to be the day that you meet your Savior in a personal relationship. So as we close out the service, I'm going to give you that gospel story one more time. Here it is. When God becomes real to us, our critical doubts are overcome with belief. Here's the story, the redemptive story of God. Humanity was created for relationship with God. Our sin separated us from that relationship. There was nothing that we could ever do to make things right ourselves. But Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose from the dead three days later that we might have life. And he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship, to those who repent of their sin, turn from their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ. For a person who says, I'm willing to do that, God will change your life today for all eternity. You might say, but Paul, I've still got some questions. Don't we all? You say, Paul, I've even got a few doubts. The question is not whether or not you have some doubts. The issue is whether or not God meets you in a personal way. See, here's what I found. It's not that all of your questions go away. Some of your questions just get smaller. Some get answered. And then some get divinely prioritized. Over time, God just helps you to see it's not that big of an issue anyway. There's some people today, I believe, that God is wanting to meet this morning. Is that your time. I'm going to ask you if you would, bow your heads for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. If there is something inside of you today that is resonating with the message that has been shared, if there's something inside of you today that you have been searching for peace, you've been searching for forgiveness, you have been searching for a new start, you have been searching for purpose in life, and, and you're not sure. You've got questions. But something inside of you right now is saying, he's talking to you. Today is that day for you. Whatever that might be, I am encouraging you today that you don't turn away the still, small voice of God. Right now, in this room, Easter Sunday, 2022, God can change your life for eternity what's holding you back this morning from saying yes to Jesus what's holding you back today from stepping into your created purpose in this world so as heads are bowed and eyes are closed I'm going to walk people through a very simple prayer this prayer does not save someone as in, like, you can pray this prayer, but if you don't believe, if you're, you got doubts, if you're just going through the motions, that, that prayer does not save someone. Jesus has done everything that is necessary for a person to know him as Lord and Savior. When it comes to this moment, we're simply agreeing with God about what he is offering to us. 
But today, if you desire to know that you are forgiven, if you desire to know that you have a relationship with God, then I'm going to lead in a very simple prayer. This is between you and God. You'd simply be this. God, I know that I've sinned. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. I recognize there's nothing I can do to make things right myself. I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life. I believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. That he rose again on the third day that we might have life. As best I know how, I place my faith in what Jesus has done for me. Would you save me? Would you give me eternal life? His heads are still bowed for just a moment. I would love to be able to rejoice with you today. So wherever you might be for just a moment, if you've prayed with me, would you simply lift your hand wherever you might be for just a moment? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands are going up all around the room. Thank you. You may put them down. In just a few moments, we're going to have an invitation time. And during this invitation time, we're opening up the, the altar for people. There's going to be pastors that are going to be standing down at the end of the different aisles. Some of those, their wives are going to be with them. We also have other other counselors, altar counselors that are available as well that they can step in. Our heart's desire is that people live this created purpose, that they live out what it is that they were put on this earth for. So in just a moment, I'm going to have everybody stand and, and we will sing a song of invitation. But today, if you want somebody to pray with you, if you have placed faith in Jesus, the next step, the next big step for you is just simply come and sharing with someone. You can do that. It's the beginning of this incredible walk with God. So we're going to have a word of prayer, then we'll stand and the altar will be open. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are asking today that you alone would do the work. God, we recognize that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So Lord, we are asking today that there are many, many people who are in the room, those who are watching online, that as they have placed faith in you, that they would take the next step to let someone know. God will thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand at this time? There's going to be a song of invitation. The altar is open for you.